Welcome to As You Were, a podcast about Alkaline Trio, where every week we talk about one Alkaline Trio song. And this week, it's My Little Needle. Needle like, like, uh, like the drug you're not supposed to do? If only. Wait, no, that's gotta be what it's about, right? This guy, this guy's like talking about the the big one heroin well tim you know i know he's saying a lot of songs about uh drinking the booze and then one song about the cocaine and then one song about the the marijuana but this song believe it or not is not about heroin david anthony tim crisp as you were a podcast about alkaline trio where every week we talk about one alkaline trio song this week track number eight from God damn it. The first LP, God Damn It, by the Alkaline Trio. A great one. A favorite of mine. Is this your favorite record of theirs? It's what I say. Yeah, I mean, I say this is my favorite record of all time because it's the album I've loved the longest. Mm -hmm. And I mean, obviously, I've talked about it endlessly in numerous formats. But it's, it's the one that I think, like... If I were to say that, like, a record, like, fully threw me into, like, this is the shit I love and I'm going to be, like, into it forever, this is probably the one. So, like, I, yeah, do I listen to it as much as other records right now? No. But nothing's ever going to change that. When did you hear this song for the first time? <laughs> um, It was either late 99, early 2000. Um. And you're born when? When when when's your birthday? 92? 90. 90. How about yeah. that? How about uh, that? I mean, I was thinking about it yesterday because um I I uh I'm not going to get into the whole thing, but throughout quarantine I've been posting like photos of records I've been listening to. Mm-hmm. Um just as like, you know, here's shit I'm listening to, like maybe people want stuff to listen to whatever. And I posted the cover to Less Talk More Rock by Propagandi. Mm-hmm. And I was like, there's a lot of albums that changed my life, but this is the only album cover that I think ever changed my life. Hmm. Because like seeing it as a kid, and I got it when I was like around that same age. I definitely had Alkaline Trio stuff before I had Propagandi. But, you know, I was like 10 years old and to have like buy a record cover that says like, you know, gay positive, pro-feminist, anti-capitalist, da 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 and then go through these liner notes with like these long recommendations of like, you know, progressive organizations and the lyrics just being so fucking like relevant today. I mean, like there's a song about like, you know, where he, he brings up the concept of privilege and that's 1996. Like he, he, they're really out ahead of stuff. Um, so like there are records like that, that I think were profoundly impactful and like exposing me to, uh, political ideology or, whatever but i think alkaline trio was they were my first real kind of underground thing i'd known blink 182 i knew green day and then just kind of like learned about this band and because they were somewhat local to me Mm -hmm. you know like the apartment i sit in is like four blocks away from where they lived when they wrote this record yeah which is on like a good day of no traffic which is every day now in quarantine (laughs) i can get to my the house i grew up in in 30 minutes you know like that's about as local as it gets yeah for like a kid not in a major city (laughs) and hearing this i was just like it was the first time i was like 
whoa, like underground music. Mm-hmm. This is a thing. Mm-hmm. And like, I definitely came to them through like, yeah, I was into Blink-182 and Green Day, but the first like, the first two underground punk records I heard, like not major label stuff, was uh, Don't Turn Away by Face to Face and them being on Vagrant and like kind of in those similar worlds. This is obviously before Alkaline Trio was on Vagrant, but like, you know, clearly there was kinship and then the Bouncing Souls, Maniacal Laughter is what I say like my first punk record really was. Oh, really? I bought it purely because of the cover. Oh. And like, I I still love that record. Um, I think that's my favorite Bouncing Souls record. <laughs> I mean, it, it ha- for me, it has to be. Like, I actually think they have a, even now, like, they're one of those bands where, like, the stuff they put out now doesn't floor me, but it's never bad, really. Like, yeah, I, I think they've got a lot of great records. Like, How I Spent My Summer Vacation, I loved, loved Anchors Away. I still yeah. think that record's really underrated. Mm-hmm. Gold Record has great songs. Like, but Maniacal After, I remember it was at Hegwish Records. In uh, so that's Hegwish being the southernmost neighborhood in Chicago. Okay, and that was the record store I, I would go to with yeah. my uncle and and my mom, because my uncle was like a vinyl record guy. So that's how this all kind of happened. But mm-hmm. I would go with them and just like walk around and like <laughs> pick stuff out. And that was like I remember just seeing the cover for that LP and then like turning it over and they were like these grimy punk like Brian the bass player was this super grimy like crusty looking dude and then like. I was just, and it was like BMX song and like all this shit and I was uh-huh. like I I've got to hear this. Perfect. And then eventually, you know, the those worlds kind of all collide around this band, mm-hmm. you know? Like it was all kind of pointing towards that direction a little bit. I bought Maniacal Laughter when I was 21 years old at the convention center in Asbury Park. That's really? a story for a different day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll definitely have to get into that. The beautiful thing about my story and the way it mirrors yours is that when I was first getting into punk it was my cool friend Chris from New Jersey Mm -hmm. who was sending me bands like Midtown saves the day Um, the common factor with many of them was that they were from New Jersey and totally and I'm living in Illinois at that point, Crystal Lake, Illinois. And I start to get into this band called the Alkaline Trio. Find out that Matt is from McHenry, which is fucking three minute drive from where I live to get into McHenry. Um, and that's the like relationship building that I have with him. It's like, here's this dude who fucking went to high school in McHenry, whose dad is a dentist in McHenry. Mm-hmm. And... He's doing this thing, and when and I, I got mean, in- beyond that, like Crystal Lake is where Glenn's from, and that's where they the Crystal Lake Public Library is where they find the font that we all know and love now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That Neil Young uses on his book cover for some reason. No way. Yeah, have you ever seen the cover to his autobiography? Uh uh-uh. uh. Uh-uh. Look it up. Oh it's, my god. When I first saw it, I was like, I've never seen anyone else use this. That's because it, it feels so much like it's their thing. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Like, it's like but anyway. crazy how much that font is just theirs, and it makes sense. Like every corner of every letter is just like, yeah, it's like this was, was designed for the Alkaline Trio. So sorry, I didn't want to interrupt, but had to throw that in. Definitely. With Crystal Lake. When I first heard 
God damn it. After getting into the band through From Here to Infirmary, it mm. was really, really something special for me. Just because it was, um, you know, you could feel a sense of humor underneath a lot of the songs. And like, you know, a little bit of the front of From Here to Infirmary. But mm. God damn it was a record that had so much character to the way this person talked about the life he was living, the things mm-hmm. that he sang about. And there are heartbreaking moments on God Damn It. There is, we've been through. Yeah, we've, so we've talked much a of lot. this record. We haven't talked about this record in a very long time, but we have True. very, very thoroughly covered it. Um, the heartbreak of songs like San Francisco. Um, the desperation of songs like Cringe, Nose Over Tail. They also are, they also exist within this spectrum of what is that, what at one end is My Little Needle, which is yeah. such a weird, strange song that is humorous, self deprecating, weird, fucking really weird. Oh yeah, super duper weird. I mean, I um I did my friend Heather uh she has a podcast called If You're Listening where she makes her friend Ramsey listen to uh the premise is he listens to all the records he missed in high school cuz he mm-hmm. basically likes they might be giants in like kind of musicals. Uh-huh. And then she goes on and gets all her friends who are into like emo and punk to play him stuff. So I did that recently and we did two records, one God damn it cuz she was like you People have been asking for it. You should be the one to do it. And uh-huh. I was like, yes, of course. And then an Against Meat record, right? Mm-hmm. And I brought up how I was like, you're a They Might Be Giants guy. That's funny because Mike Park in like the original like one sheets that would come in those Asian Man catalogs, the way he described Alkaline Trio was Jawbreaker meets They Might Be Giants, which <laughs> They Might Be Giants are maybe one of my least favorite bands on the planet Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, I say that as someone who... Uh, if you've ever seen their famous cover of Tub Thumping, I'm in that video. I performed that song on stage with them at the Riviera. <laughs> uh, and I do not think they are particularly good. Um, but if there's a song that I think exudes it, that description really fits this one. Yeah. It's such a strange number. Um, the way that it comes in, so heavy. And the way that it exits Mm -hmm. also very heavy but in the fucking middle in the verses and the chorus of these songs it is just such a like goofy presentation of exactly the same thing that's happening in san francisco totally exactly the same well, I mean, it's the same story he's even really telling on Clavicle, which is a song directly before it, mm-hmm. you know? As we kind of just immediately got into up top, this song is not about heroin, which I a lot of people I knew thought it was just because Definitely. we were kids and like the title and whatever. But, you know, in the original Sin documentary that came out with the goddamn it reissue, you know, he talks about this is just, it's about, you know, looking for love, the needle in the haystack thing. And then you read the lyrics and you're like, oh, obviously that's like a hundred percent what this is <laughs> and yeah it's just very like 
it's just hitting all the same themes of like uh, unrequited love, that kind of like sense of longing, drinking a little too much, feeling kind of like an idiot, but in the most like just kind of like playful way. I mean, everything about those verses just has this really light like bounce to it, mm-hmm. which is really weird. And this song, I think more than a lot of the other ones, really highlights that other piece of mythology of recording this record where because Dan had to go on a Tuesday tour, he recorded his backing vocals before Matt recorded his leads. Mm -hmm. So they're just not fully in sync, but it just works so well. You know, that like his, you know, Dan's whole shopping cart, Mm -hmm. like that whole thing is just like super fun and like there's so much character in the song so much just the way he screams that i yeah yeah that part is so good like you couldn't they couldn't have planned this it could not Mm. have been there's there's no like intuition that would go into having dan do that stuff off of matt yeah Um, and and i think that it's what I get from it is that Matt finds a way to lean into how different it is, how Matt cuts short that I and traded my bike for a shopping cart. Um, and it, it just, it throws the voice throws itself at you. The guitar strums throw themselves at you. Mm -hmm. And just in the middle, it's just a really, really simple, chord progression with a funny ass clean tone yeah and matt with this like he delivers these lyrics like he's like he's giving a presentation in front of his eighth grade class (laughs) where he's referencing something that the whole class knows what he's talking about but the teacher teacher doesn't and he's trying to like keep it in He's trying to like preserve the bit, but everybody knows that he's like fucking with the program. A yeah, little a little bit, a little bit. I mean, it's just like the first line is so like bold. Like he knows he's kind of throwing people for a loop here. Like I mm-hmm. think he's he's very much playing into the fact that he knows this can be misread. When the song is called "My Little Needle" and the first line is "I'll come down and get you high," mm-hmm. like okay. Like (laughs) you're definitely playing with the thing here. I mean, this is on your other podcast road to the skeleton coast with Mr. Brendan Kelly. This is a plug. Oh Um, yeah. That's a, it's a good podcast we got going over there. He talks a lot about writing exercises as building vocals, you know, as how the lyrics come together. Uh Um, This is maybe the closest I think Matt does that where he's really we talk a lot about how in a certain line he'll take a kind of cliche phrase and just like twist it. And that's all Mm -hmm. the song is really doing. It's like twisting it a bunch of different ways, exploring kind of every corner of what the perceived meaning could be. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just it's it's really fun. Like before we started, like I was kind of thinking about just like how this is a song that for me i've never felt like some super close attachment to because i like it a lot when i hear it i'm like this song's awesome but when i'm like oh like killer alkaline trio songs it's like cringe and nose over tail and san francisco and you know from this record and there's Mm -hmm. countless more because they they kind of say said something to me 
a little deeper. But this is such a breath of fresh air on a record that is pretty mired in the shit for a lot of it. Yeah, and I think that it also it hits on the fact that you listen to Maniacal Laughter and The Freaks, Nerds, and Romantics means more to me with the BMX song being there. Yes, absolutely. And or even like Quick Check Girl. You Quick know? Check Girl is a perfect example where it's this goofy little story um, that really just like leans into the fact that, I mean, they're living in a post-clerk's world, am mm-hmm. I right? But there's a fucking life to all of that that I think is a really, really special thing that happens um, not in all music. No, it doesn't. And to me, only in the best, where there's, like, you you get this <coughs> understanding of who these people are and where they're coming from and where their humor directs things really just lets you know, like, you know, th- there's a there's a lot more that's revealed in the person and in their sadness when you hear more from their humorous side. Well, I mean, let's let's take it back. Like, if we're going to really explore where I, you know, that stuff I think is kind of intrinsic in punk to a degree early on. There's a little mm-hmm. bit of cheekiness, but I think if we're going to really hone in an, an authentic version of it, I would pinpoint like the descendants because like they're a band that, you know, a lot of like, yeah, they have too many joke songs for Mm -hmm. sure. However, I think that balance on records like Milo goes to college and, you know, I don't want to grow up is what makes those. It's what makes those songs like really kind of sink inside you when they're, when they are being kind of straight up, you know? And it's like, you have like fucking my age, like one of the all time great, punk openers Mm -hmm. and then it's followed Mm -hmm. by a song about a bear shit in the woods you know like (laughs) those things can both coexist and it doesn't necessarily need to bring it down and like even to go back to the propaganda thing like there's a lot of humor in those songs like a song that's about like the global economy and privilege like he's comparing it to like game seven of the Stanley cup finals and Jesus saves Gretzky scores. Like, you know, like mm-hmm. y- you can do both. It, it It's just about how much you commit to it. It's when you kind of do a half measure that doesn't really work. Yeah, definitely. And the descendants fucking great example, because I think that the best expressions that they have on the angry side are the teenage angst side of things mm-hmm. and w- like what contributes to teenage angst i don't know your parents yeah exactly people not letting you skateboard yeah and i know that um i i know where your feelings lie on the example that i'm about to bring up but i think it's a worthy one heroin by the velvet underground is a funny song and it is meant to be a funny song and it's so tongue-in-cheek and there's enough like weirdness to that whole presentation that people are like deeply deeply fascinated by it and drawn to it in this way that like i think embodies the spirit of like that drug which is you know 
that's a whole nother kettle of fish. But mm-hmm. the underlying like humor that's happening in the way he sings and in the like the way he describes things, that's all part of the same weird package. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think you know a lot of that shit. Like you see it in the Ramones a lot. Like mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot more overt humor there. I think you see it in the Sex Pistols a lot. Like I mean, I think it's Dude, kind those of songs are so funny. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, even Crass, who are like the most overtly political, are like really yeah. joking around and like trying to pull pranks literally mm-hmm. on the government, which they did successfully. You know, like <laughs> mm-hmm. th- there's got to be a little bit of like self-aware goofiness in there you know because there's a difference between like a lot of these bands we've talked about and then you know bands that are so self-serious that it looks like there's no fun being had at any point in the process Mm -hmm. and i i think those are the things that like i was always drawn to stuff that was like serious but didn't take itself too seriously you know like i don't think it's got to be like i said like yeah the descendants have definitely written arguably too many joke songs but it's like we're looking at a dude who is like a fucking scientist and Uh studying to be one like this is his pressure release valve that's fine you know yeah yeah and i think that i think that what matt does here and you you definitely hit on this he really leans into saying what he says and knowing the way that it's going to be read and on the very immediate level that has an effect on the audience and in the fucking years that follow this record it becomes part of the mythology of yeah. of this dude and i think of of just the band in general that yes. they have you know it's it, and it's not only just that there's um, you know, the possibility that hard drugs are involved. It's just in the, like, the branding of the Alkaline Trio in 1998, <coughs> early 2000s, of just being, like, this sort of fucking goofball weirdo troop. Yeah, I mean, I think to, to, to bring this all the way back to episode two of this podcast, not episode one, my friend Peter, like... Uh-huh. That song is goofy, you know, like the reason that song works is because the I'll drink 23 more and the hard stops like with the stupid smile part. Like, yeah, it it is funny. Like you hear that the first time and you're kind of just like taken back by like how brazenly goofy it is. Uh huh. But it just works. And, and that's all it needs to do. You know, like it's not like super goofy and they're like. Whoop, slide whistle sound effect type of thing but it's mm-hmm. just like it, it's definitely got a perspective that isn't going to come out of anybody else and I, I think, think that's really interesting right I think that's that's what it is is that they're they're locked into something and yes they're locked into it way before anybody else is maybe mm-hmm. uh, you know maybe Brendan was in there pretty early um, sure but like the the fact that they hit on the levels that they do is really a testament to the magic of this trio mm-hmm. and um all the individual parts and the i think 
what's clear from the output of of the you know early period is just that they're on a roll and they're not yes. thinking too hard about things and you know i don't i I really, really doubt that any of the things that we're projecting onto what Matt is doing with this song were a conscious thought at all. And yeah. that is because he's fucking on that level where it's automatic, it's coming out, and <coughs> the the depths to it are there to be cultivated by by the people who find it. And the reason that people find it is honestly because there's just such a fucking beautiful everything to it absolutely i mean i i think to to really kind of put a bow on the whole thing i think it's just like we talk a lot about how like this stuff isn't overthought and it just kind of clearly naturally comes out of a person and and that's what the song i think really represents there's a Mm -hmm. lot of things that are uh quote unquote not the right thing to do in terms of songwriting production guitar sound how backing vocals were recorded, whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't really give a fuck about any of that stuff. Like it's, it's the type of song that exists because this one person who wrote it needed to write it. That's kind of the end of the story. And sometimes that's all it needs to be, you know, like mm-hmm. this is not overworked. Uh, if they wrote this song a year later, it probably wouldn't made a record, you yeah. know? So like, it's just the the inherent truth of like people just making things kind of without guardrails and letting that be what it is. Yeah, this song was not meant for anybody other than the people in the room and their close friends. Yeah. And that's the energy to it and I think that there's a real magic to this recording in particular on a real magical uh, set of recordings. And it's got a lot to do with (coughs) the Dan vocals. Also fucking Dan's bass playing on this is so fucking fun. Oh, 100%. Smart as fuck too. Well, it's just so over the top with like those loud bings, like, you mm-hmm. know, he, he's really kind of playing it up. And honestly, why not? Like, I, I think that's the thing is like, I think anyone can look back at something they made 22 years ago and be like, ah, it's all juvenile or whatever. But like, that's part of the reason. And, and I think they've been a very, uh, they've been a really good band in terms of acknowledging the fact that like, yeah, this is what people love and what built the whole thing mm-hmm. you know i it, it's not the the radiohead creep situation i think that i think that what is you're right it's not the radiohead creep situation not at all i couldn't imagine a radiohead song that has anywhere near the uh the amount of uh fucking shit-eating grin that this one has sure and i i think that there's something really special to how this song is sort of like the in a lot of ways it's a culmination of the the silly parts of nose over tail clavicle it's like mm-hmm. this is where he goes full tilt with being such a such a weirdo who like focuses in on uh strange things who com- you know he compares himself to you know like we, he puts himself in weird positions as he narrates his own life, 
And this is on a record that I think has a lot of really, really powerful payoffs throughout its back half. This is one where it's just like, okay, here's like all of the weird things that came before. And we're just going to have so much fun with it. There are great instrumental passages on this record. Cringe, Nose Over Tail, both open with these open chords, spend a little bit of time like spacing out (coughs) before you get into the heavy octave stuff. This one just goes straight into it. It's a verse, a chorus, a verse, a chorus, and then immediately just hanging on that octave until it's time to just move down a little bit and mm-hmm. it's it's got a really nice progression that it goes through but it's such a fucking fun and triumphant build that it ends on it's a shame that it's not followed up with those fucking sticks on the rim into message from kathleen it, it would be a nice play um i mean i think one of the things and i've talked about a lot is like how a lot of this early stuff just leaves space for the music to be instrumental, which I think is awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I don't think vocals need to always be the uh, thing doing the emotional expression. Um, I think oftentimes that actually weakens the thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the fact that they're willing to basically just jam for 40 seconds at the end of the song, or like, even when I think about a song like cringe or nose over tail, which do have those big cathartic scream along moments, there's a lot of just musical space in them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not a thing that, you know, by the time of From Here to Infirmary, that's not really happening anymore. Yeah. Um, and, like, that's fine. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, there's just a certain level of, like, this is how we write songs. This is what we do. This is the chemistry we have. And I think all the best records, you know, to me are those types of ones where you can really hear the people in it. Like even something that's much more produced and lush, let's say uh, disintegration by the cure, which mm-hmm. is a touchstone we've gone back to a lot over the years. Like uh, I hear the people in that, you Definitely. know, as clean and, and fucking gorgeous as that record may sound like it sounds like it was made by a human being. And this mm-hmm. is not to like go on some like raucous like anti-technology for electronic music tip because i think a lot of that stuff you can still hear the creator in it but i just mean like i think it's the the best records always have that thing like no matter what the genre is where you just hear the fucking person making the thing Mm -hmm. and it's not overthought it's not something that like uh, i need two more songs to flush it out it just comes out the way it is And, and and this song is a great uh example of that yeah, it definitely is. And I think, and I'm going to add this point not to um, not to go against what you just said, but only to add to it is that the last, uh, last bits of vocals that we hear from Matt are some of the most cathartic on the record. Mm-hmm. This, the, that yell that comes from the same place that has all of this fucking darkness going on this is a fucking triumphant thing that he's yelling. This is uh, riding your bike home at two in the morning, fucking hammered, just yeah. s- singing to yourself and then yelling to yourself. Beautiful. Totally. Beautiful. Yeah. I mean, the, just the way that y- when he says you in the moon and you mm-hmm. is just like it breaks so perfectly. It's <laughs> I think of a thing that uh, when I was writing a story on pile years ago, 
Jonah from Krill and now the band Not said to me, which is that he's like, what I love about Pile is that their music is brutal and it brings about a brutality and people often uh, say that about genres like death metal or whatever. Mm -hmm. But he's like, anything that has that element of ugliness that you are just like, fuck, that was awesome. He's like, that's what a band like Pile does. And I think Rick does a good job on screaming in ways where you're like, ooh, okay, I love this. And I think that's what Matt really pushes his voice to in that moment. I think he does that a lot in some of this early stuff. When we were talking about uh, Crystalline last week, uh-huh. he's going for that again. Yeah. You know, he he's kind of butting up against it. And it's why I, I when we kind of went back and forth on that song, I was like, I like it because he's, he's trying to tap into that again. Mm-hmm. And I think that's cool. But here it's just so natural. It's so effortless. And yeah, it becomes this big cathartic thing. But then he lets the music just take you home. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like that last moment. And then you're getting the victory lap and just kind of reveling in it. You know what this song is? This song is you ever you ever smell bad, but you smell lots of times. But you know that you know that feeling when your your stink is real heavy and you know it and it smells bad but it's not too much. It's mm-hmm. just right. It's the kind of stink that makes you smell your pits even more. Oh, day Tim Crisp. <laughs> what do you rate it? I give it a 4. Four and a half. I, uh, yeah, it's, I always kind of qualify my rankings, but like, this is one, like I said, if someone were to ask me, like, is this one of your favorite songs? I would say no. And then I hear it and I'm like, the song's tight. So yeah. Is it, (coughs) is it going on my top 20? No. If I'm making someone a playlist and there's a spot for it, going in there because it's just got it's got such a fucking good energy and i think it's emblematic of a of a very special human quality that's going on uh on this record with this band that we love we love love this band motherfucker i love this podcast as you were a podcast about uncline trio that's great because david anthony you are the host of it me i'm one of them i'm nothing but an errand boy uh, hey, we're glad that y'all could join us this week, just like you did last week. We invite you to tell a friend about the show. Hey, these these folks, they do they do this podcast called As You Were. Oh, what's it about? Oh, it's about Alkaline Trio. It's a podcast about Alkaline Trio. It's called As You Were, a podcast about Alkaline Trio. Um, we are on Patreon, patreon.com slash as you were. You can go over there throw us a few bucks we both need some new hemp soap yes so- <laughs> clearly god damn it a record brought to you by old style bike messaging bike messengers bike messaging and both hemp soap um we do this every week and the reason that we do it every week is because we like spending time together and we like to have a little virtual hangout session. And we're going to come back next week with another 
one of these episodes, invite you to rate and subscribe on your podcast player. My other podcast, Road to the Skeleton Coast with Brendan Kelly, is coming up on a pretty exciting uh, episode this week. You know, you remember how like Alkaline Trio like made that record after we started doing the podcast? Mm-hmm. Not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. I think that there's no. something going on in the Lawrence Arms camp that's sort of similar to what we're doing over there, Road to the Skeleton Coast. If you catch my drift, either way, we'll be back next week with another edition of this podcast, and we look forward to it. We'll talk to you then. Thanks, folks. Bye. Did you hear that neck crack?